0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much uh, for joining me once again uh, for this uh, really exciting for me um, Facebook Live offering, Uh, and so you'll have to pardon me if I'm looking this way and that way. I have two different cameras running uh, for different channels, so I might be uh, looking distracted, but just know that uh, I'm trying to acknowledge the people who are coming in from both uh, channels there. So, as some of you know, um, I I frequently do these Facebook Live sessions. I tend to schedule a couple a week for about a month or five weeks, uh, leading up to an online meditation program. And this is no different. (laughs) That is uh, what brings me here today, is I'm really hoping to uh, uh, cultivate a certain type of energy moving into an online meditation program. And so if you were with me last week, you saw a talk on the topic of joy and this how we can cultivate this boundless joy. And really that talk was about uh, how much benefit a practice of joy can be. Today I'm going to talk about uh, what's, what I call heartfelt awareness, which is really for me, um, I've kind of retitled mindfulness as heartfelt awareness. So when I, when I say heartfelt awareness, I'm speaking to the practices that most people would uh, frame as mindfulness practice, heartfelt awareness. And I'll, I'll get to the reasoning behind that in this talk. But before I do that, I I just want to say a few words about the online meditation program that I'm offering. So the program is entitled Heartfelt Awareness, A Fearless Embrace of Life. A Fearless Embrace of Life. And if you've done online programs with me before, if you've been following me on Facebook or Instagram, you know that generally the courses that I offer are eight, eight weeks long. This is a little bit different. Uh, This will be a 12-week long online meditation program. So it runs for 12 weeks. And the groups uh, are kept quite small. I tend to offer these programs to a group of maybe 15, no more than 20 people per session, per group. Uh, I'm pretty adamant about that. I like to have a small group so that I can really cater to what's, ar- what's arising for people in the Course. So that being said, none of this is pre-recorded. Everything that I offer is live, and I do that intentionally for that reason, because for me, mm, it really makes sense to receive these teachings in a live setting, much more than a pre-recorded setting. So, so I tend to offer things in that way. Uh, So, a little bit about the offering itself, it it will run over 12 weeks, and we're meeting this time, for this uh, retreat, we just meet once a week on Saturdays, uh, from 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., every Saturday from April 8th to July 20th, I'm sorry, April 8th to July 1st. And there's no class on May 20th, Uh, so there'll be a break halfway through uh, so that people can integrate uh, what they're taking in. If you sign up for the program, you can do the whole thing live, making every Saturday. That can be very beneficial. Uh, You could do um, most of the live sessions and then catch up on the recordings if that is more comfortable for you. Or if you wish, uh, you could do the whole thing and your own pace. So just following along with the recordings, that's also fine. Now I'm mentioning recordings, and I wanna mention here that the recordings are made live during the session, and they're made available only to the retreat participants as a way of holding a container of safety, because there will be ample opportunity in each session for sharing, for conversations, to uh, express what might be coming up for us, during the program. And sometimes, you know, these meditations can reach quite deeply. And so it really helps to have a safe space where we can share with each other um, what the meditations are bringing up for us. So in that kind of vein, I'd like to mention here that everything that I offer, this program, Heartfelt Awareness, and all of the programs that I offer, I offer within a trauma-sensitive framework. I've studied quite deeply around uh, trauma-sensitive mindfulness. I've also studied with, uh, I took a three-month course with Gabor Mate, which really helped me uh, with my understanding around working with trauma and navigating that very sensitive material. I've also taken a few courses with Peter Levine, who's a very well-known and very um, well-respected trauma therapist. So I have a bit of a background in that, and I really feel confident that I can offer meditation practices in such a way that they can land for people if they're holding uh, that traumatic energy in the nervous system. This course is appropriate for all experience levels. If you've never meditated before, you're welcome. If you have a meditation practice already, also welcome. If you're a very experienced meditator, please come along. All are welcome. And in that same note, I do tend to offer these programs in a secular voice. I'm very, very passionate about bringing these teachings, which do come from the Buddhist tradition, but bringing them in such a way that they're accessible to people from all belief systems, all walks of life, all backgrounds. Or you could have no belief system, also fine. Yeah. Everyone can practice these practices. Okay, so that's enough about the online program. If you want to find out more information about heartfelt awareness, uh, please do go visit my website, www.suchsweetthunder.org. So, a little bit of a talk then. <laughs> entering into the topic at hand. So why mindfulness, right? Mindfulness has really become a buzzword in the, um, in the West and the East, really worldwide and in the contemplative uh, communities. We see this word mindfulness really springing to the foreground in the past 10 or 15 years. And prior to that, you know, mindfulness has always been there. It's been a, a main feature in the Buddhist tradition. But it really came to the foreground yeah, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, we owe that uh, in great part to a teacher named John Kabat-Zinn, who is, was at one point an MIT uh, graduate. Well, he's still a graduate, but worked at MIT. Uh, doing research around cancer, and he went on a mindfulness retreat, of a pasana retreat, and he, you know, came to the conclusion after that ten-day silent retreat that this would be helpful for pain management. And so he went back to MIT and proposed to the cancer treatment center there that he, they allow him to offer mindfulness to terminally ill cancer patients, and there was a lot of skepticism. This was around 1980, 1981, uh, but the results were outstanding, and that really led us to where we are today. So we owe a lot uh, to John Kabat-Zinn in that way, in that respect. So in recent years, you know, psychotherapists, not only doctors and and, and uh cancer patients and things like that, but also psychotherapists have turned to mindfulness meditation as a really important and kind of a key feature in treating a number of psychological issues, namely uh, depression, substance abuse, and I've done quite a bit of work around um, uh, recovery, around substance abuse, and I've seen how effective that can be. Also eating disorders Uh, Couples' conflicts, anxiety disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Mindfulness can be really effective in helping all of that. And I mentioned pain management, but also uh, now we see there's plenty of scientific evidence backing the claim that mindfulness does help alleviate stress. It helps with emotional regulation and emotional intelligence. And also, it works to boost our happiness index, which is really awesome, right? So this technique of mindfulness can actually help us be happier people. It's really lovely. But I think for me, most of all, mindfulness can really strengthen our connection to the present moment. And when I say mindfulness here, keep in mind, I'm also saying heartfelt awareness. Heartfelt awareness. So this heartfelt awareness can really help us stay connected to our experience of life. And that can become quite profound. It it changes our relationship to life itself. So I mentioned earlier that I would speak a little bit about this term heartfelt awareness and why am I using that as opposed to simply saying mindfulness. Mindfulness a great question. (laughs) So in Sanskrit and Pali, the, the languages which these teachings come from, the word that has been translated into mindful, that prefix of that mind, that word mind can just as easily be translated as heart. In fact, the the Sanskrit character, also in Mandarin Chinese, the Mandarin character, equally means heart as it does mind. So in a sense, we're kind of, in present day, struggling with a poor translation, because I think when many people hear the word mind or mindfulness, it becomes this kind of a cognitive exercise, right, that we're meant to be kind of paying attention very closely with our brain at the present moment experience, right? And ironically, that movement to do that actually separates us from the the experience that we're having. So adding to that practice this heartfelt awareness, this connecting to our experience from our heart, And you might explore this right now as you're listening to me, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, You might say, okay, well, let's use the breath. And just, you know, taking a moment. What does it feel like when I put my mind on the breath? Just do this quietly while you're watching this video. Just take a moment and put your mind on your breathing. okay letting that go if it's helpful looking around just kind of just letting that go for a moment and then when it feels good to do so the invitation here then is to put your heart on the breath put your heart on the breath so getting a feel for what the difference is there. And when I do this live in a workshop, um, very often people report that putting the heart on the breath is, is more open and softer, and there's less thinking involved because the heart doesn't have access to the verbal mind the way the brain does. And so we're invited then not to discard the aspect of the mind, we still want that, but to combine mind and heart. Sati, the Sanskrit word, the Pali word, sati, means equally heart and mind. So we're not choosing one over the other, but kind of inviting in the quality of both heart and mind. And so I think that's quite important to to. be aware of. So when I offer guided meditations on heartfelt awareness, I tend to invite participants, and how I practice it in my own practice too, is to I invite us to visualize or imagine or recall some experience where we felt our heart opening. And for me, it's always uh, playing with my cat, or I remember her when she was a kitten and she used to fall asleep on my, on my abdomen or my chest area, uh, and she would purr, and my heart just like that, just opens. And so then the invitation is to bring that heartfelt quality, that heart-opening quality to all of the sensations of the body. And the way I generally do that is bringing that heartfelt quality to the feet and then gradually moving up through the body to the top of the head, continually meeting the sensations of the body, much in the same way we might meet a friend we haven't seen in a very long time. Or maybe you might, the way I do it is... Uh, holding each sensation of the body the way I would hold a kitten or a puppy or a flower. And we'll do some of this in the course, obviously, that I'm offering. And then, you know, I often get the question, well, what about the, the painful areas of the body that most people have, I mean, all people experience from time to time? Are we expected to discard this practice uh, when there's pain in the body? Absolutely not. In fact, that circles back to the whole aspect of this practice being used for pain management, as as John Kabat-Zinn discovered it could do. So the second stage of the practice, if you will, there's four stages of this practice. We start with the body. We then go into what's known as feeling tones. And then mind, mind, heartfulness of the mind and the activity of the mind. And then we go into what's known as dhamma, mindfulness or heartfelt awareness of dhammas. I'm going to unpack dhammas in a moment, but I want to circle back around and talk a little bit about that heartfelt awareness of feeling tones. And the Sanskrit word for feeling tones is vedana. And vedana, it's another really problematic word to translate. It doesn't mean feelings or feeling tones necessarily. And I think recent translators have decided on hedonic tones. And I think that's quite accurate. Hedonic tones. It's how the present moment feels in any given moment whether it's pleasant, or unpleasant, or neutral. And when we really practice being mindful, uh, or heartful, of what's pleasant, what's unpleasant, what's neutral, we begin to widen our window of tolerance for the discomforts of life. And that becomes very, very important because reactivity arises from our discomforts with life. And so as we widen that window of tolerance, we become less reactive, which by the very nature of that statement, we live a life of less suffering. That's the, for me, that's the reason of meditation is to suffer less for ourselves and for others we suffer less. So here we can see why this practice can be so helpful and so beneficial, right? So in the course, we'll do three weeks on connecting to the body, you know, opening our heart, visualizing, imagining, recalling experiences where our heart was really quite open, and bringing that heartfelt awareness through the body over and over again, meeting the body exactly where it is without judgment. And then we go to the second three weeks of the course, week uh, four, five, and six. And when we're there, we'll be working with the feeling tones, Vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And by the way, just there, I want to mention that, It's not that we only have three experiences and they're either pleasant or neutral or unpleasant. We all know that, right? We can say, oh, yeah, this experience is kind of in between pleasant and neutral or in between neutral and unpleasant. Absolutely right. Uh, That's actually a spectrum. And so if you think of it as a spectrum, you might have pleasant on one side and neutral in the middle and unpleasant on the other side. And there's all sorts of shades and colors and variations of all of that in between so it's a fluid ever-changing spectrum i find that to be very helpful uh, because sometimes people try to fit their experience into being well i don't really know what this is but yeah maybe it's just pleasant (laughs) right we try to fit our experience into that basket and that's not really helpful So just noting, you know, it's some variation, some color or shade in between neutral and unpleasant like that if you're doing this practice and that comes up. And so by being mindful or bringing this heartfelt awareness to the unpleasantness that can arise, the discomfort that can be present in the body, our relationship to that discomfort changes. We no longer react to that discomfort in the knee-jerk reaction of, don't want that, must have this, don't want that, must have this, and you know just to acknowledge that that's the human nervous system is wired for that process. That's how we survived for two hundred thousand years, is by exactly that engaging in that very, very habitual, very uh, deeply ingrained habit of moving towards comfort and pushing away discomfort and so we're not trying to change that you know we need to be able to um, move away from the fire right we need to be able to if we step out in the street and there's a truck coming we need to be able to say oh that's unpleasant (laughs) and jump right before we get hit so we we don't want to unplug that that habit but we do, what we do want to do is to bring that into conscious awareness so that it's, it becomes a choice, right? Because as long as that tendency of pushing away discomfort and grasping at comfort is uh, unconscious, it will control, as Yoda might say, it would control our destiny, right? And it does. It does. Until we bring that out of the unconscious and make it conscious, it controls the way we move through the world. So by, making, by using this practice to bring awareness to that tendency, now we have a choice. That's uncomfortable. It's informing me that I should move. How can I best move that would serve the present moment? without causing suffering for myself and for others. So that's the second three weeks of the course we'll be engaging in, in the Heartfelt Awareness course, we'll be really engaging very deeply in a practice of Vedana, feeling tones. Then in the third three weeks, I guess that would be, let's see, four, five, week seven, eight, and nine, Uh, we will bring this heartfelt awareness to the activity of the mind. And, you know, this can be quite interesting because some meditation practices uh, really invite us to to push away the activity of the mind. And, you know, there can be some benefit in that. You know, we, we learn to rest in the silence of the present moment when the mind isn't so active. And I think that can be incredibly beneficial. But here we're invited to just observe the mind and see what's happening, observing the activity, the thoughts, the moods, the attitudes, the views that we might hold on to. Because again, we're bringing all of that out of the unconscious and becoming aware of it. So powerful. That's so powerful. You know, for me, I don't know about you all, but for me, if I look back in my life and and think about the disagreements that I've had with people, those disagreements came more often than not out of an unconscious view that I was holding. And so by bringing this heartfelt awareness to these views that we might be hanging on to, You know, the the views that we adopt from our culture, from our education, from our upbringing, uh, from the entertainment that we digest. These views that we consider to be just the way life is, but we don't recognize that they're actually just our view of things. And so when we start to engage in the activity of the mind in a heartfelt way, We say, oh, that's that's actually not reality. That's just the way I see it. That gives us a lot more space for the views of others. And because we've taken a practice like this, we can actually see that, oh, that's actually, they're attached to that view. And so here's the arising of compassion, right? Because we know how easy it is to get stuck. To get hung up on our our, on our opinions our views we think that's how it ought to be or that's the way it is right but when we start to bring that heartfelt awareness to that that in a sense dogma that we're holding on to that starts to loosen starts to soften we start to see a much broader wider perspective on life and then when we encounter other people who are really attached to their view oh, man, that's so painful, right? We can see how much struggle there is in that because life very rarely goes according to someone's view, <laughs> right? If we're holding on to a view, we're kind of guaranteed disagreement, which is, in a sense, guaranteed suffering. So by bringing this heartfelt quality to the activity of the mind, we start to free ourselves from those views. And just to speak a little bit about heartfelt awareness or mindfulness of dhamma. So dhamma, again, another Sanskrit word, a Pali word, very, very challenging to translate. The literal translation means law. But it's more like the law of nature, like gravity. These are things that exist in a very, very subtle way. And essentially, they are the structures in our mind, in our heart, in our nervous system that we've inherited. But more subtle than the activity of the mind. This is kind of the meta-activity of the mind, if you will. And the tradition that I've studied in, uh, there's lots of different maps within the frame of dhamma, mindfulness of dhamma. Um, But in the course, I'll be sticking to primarily two maps. Uh, One's known as the five hindrances, and these are five qualities that we all have. Every human nervous system has these five qualities to a greater or lesser degree. And these five qualities are what stop us from connecting to the present moment in a heartfelt way. And I'll just name them very quickly. Uh, Those five qualities are um, desire, uh, anger or ill will, what's known as sloth and torpor, which is really this quality of like, you know, fading awareness, very dull-minded, foggy, if you've meditated and you've you know, encountered sleep in your meditation, or sleepiness, or dullness, or haziness, that's sloth and torpor. And kind of the opposite of that is restlessness and worry. Restlessness and worry. Like that. And then the last one is doubt. Doubt. And, and you know, I think they're all, they're all insidious in their own neat little ways um but for me uh, sloth and torpor has always been my hindrance of choice <laughs> uh but and i think doubt is the most subtle one uh, and so just maybe as you're listening to this you might go through and and note in your life where where doubt comes up and sense oh that that yeah that that is kind of a hindrance to my goals in that area of my life you know or you might you know well ill will or anger yeah well, i really would like to you know be more peaceful so you might that might be one of your hindrances that that repeatedly comes through your life and your life experiences And so in the course, we'll be engaging quite deeply in a set of practices which allow us to uh, put those hindrances down and to really come into a deeper engagement with a heartfelt awareness. And the other map that I'll be using in the three weeks where we're engaging in this heartfelt awareness of Dhamma is a map known as the seven factors of awakening the seven factors of awakening and here again i'll just name those really quickly Uh, mindfulness or heartfulness is the first one and it's first because that's kind of the engine that drives the other six so we have heartfelt awareness or mindfulness we have um curiosity or The tradition says investigation. Uh, One of my teachers, Stephen Batchelor, translates that as curiosity. I like that a little bit more uh, because we need to be curious if we're going to investigate anything, right? So curiosity is the second one, the way I use it anyway. Uh, The third one is energy. And the fourth one is joy. The fifth one is... uh, tranquility or calm the sixth one is concentration samadhi and the last one the seventh factor of awakening is equanimity non-judgment and so you know just to set if you want if you'd like before you you know go on the course if you'd like you can put those lists, those maps side by side, the five hindrances alongside with the seven factors of awakening. And you can see when the hindrances are present, those seven factors of awakening are absent. And when the seven factors of awakening are present, the hindrances are absent. And so in a a sense, the seven factors of awakening are the antidotes to the hindrances like that, and they do work that way. And so we'll be exploring the relationship between those two maps and engaging in practices which cultivate the factors of awakening and allow us to, to set aside the five hindrances. It sounds like a great course. I'm looking forward to it myself. Um, and, you know, my intention here today wasn't to really um, speak so much about the course, but uh, I hope there's some benefit in that maybe you're getting some of the teachings that i'm putting forth here while i'm outlining the course as well i'm just gonna have a little sip of water so i've been talking for quite a while here it's been about almost 35 minutes so i just want to Mention a little bit about mindfulness of the body, and then I think uh, next time I do this talk, and I'll try to do it at the same time next week. I'm not sure if I'll be able to. Right now, I'm staying with with my sister, and so it's challenging to uh, to set things that far in advance um, when you're a guest in somebody else's home. So, but I'm gonna try to be here at this time next week, offering another talk on heartfelt awareness. And in that talk, I intend to go a little bit deeper into the topic of mindfulness or heartfelt awareness, if you will, of the body. But just to mention some of the benefits of that and why it's so important. So all of our experience arises through the body, right? Whether it's through the sense doors the brain, the mind. Everything that we experience comes to us through our body. And so by cultivating a a really strong relationship, a heartfelt relationship to the body, we, we relate to our experience of life in a much different way. And so, for example, if I'm walking down the street and, you know, somebody, I don't know, says something offensive or what I maybe interpret as offensive, maybe they swear at me or something like that, uh, my body will react to that. There'll be a reaction of threat. You know, there'll be maybe a tense tension in the abdomen or clenching of the jaw or Maybe my face gets flush. And, you know, without a practice like heartfelt awareness or mindfulness, I might react to that. You know, so I'm not reacting to what the person said. I'm reacting to the discomfort that arises in my body. But it's very habitual and very immediate how quickly it happens. We, we think we're reacting to the person and what they said, right? So that person, let's, you know, play this out. Maybe I'm walking down the street and I accidentally bump the guy or the person in the shoulder and then he turns around and say, oh, you filth, foul, foul, filth. You should watch where you're going, you know, whatever. Okay, so, you know, without a practice, I might just turn around and, and punch the guy or, or, or yell back or whatever it is. That's suffering, right? We're causing suffering for ourselves and for someone else. But as we cultivate this heartfelt relationship to the body, we recognize, oh, I'm getting angry. We feel the anger in the body. And we can say we can meet that sensations, the somatic sensations of anger. We can meet that with kindness. We can hold that the way one might hold a puppy or a kitten or a flower. And so when we train in responding to the body and to what's arising in the body in this way, rather than unconsciously reacting to the body, we have gone a great distance in unplugging our reactivity. And so in that example, I might feel the defense mechanisms in the nervous system getting activated. But just because I feel activated in my body doesn't mean I have to react. I can meet that activation in the nervous system with kindness, with compassion. Hmm. Okay. So I think that's all I'm going to say today. Thank you all for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. I wouldn't be here if nobody was watching, so, so thank you. Thank you for that. And again, if you're interested in signing up for the program, uh, please visit my website, www.suchsweetthunder.org. And I'll be back here, I think Wednesday or Thursday evening, uh, giving a talk on joy. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. Oh, I'm going to ring the bell to close it out.